Welcome to another edition of Garden Talk. Larry Mueller here, and today we look at seeds and how the different varieties are developed. And a couple of guests for you today. Julie Dawson, one of them, back uh, with us once again. She's an associate professor at the UW-Madison in the Department of Horticulture, leads the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative in Wisconsin. Julie, welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, with her as well as is Nicola uh, Angelbear. Nico is a plant breeder by training and is the CEO and co-founder of Seed Linked. And Nico, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me again. As we talk with them, I hope you'll join in with your own questions or comments. What vegetable seed questions do you have? Do you have a variety you want to tell us about or ask about? Join in the number to call is 1-800-642-1234, 800-642-1234, or you could email us to ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. Julie, let's start with you. Maybe we could start by just talking about what the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative is all about. Sure. The Seeds and Kitchen Collaborative started in 2014, and it was named by my first graduate student, Healy. And the goal was to identify varieties that did really well for farmers in Wisconsin that were selling to local markets. And we focused on vegetables and really worked with farmers and chefs to identify varieties that had excellent flavor, excellent quality, and excellent production for small-scale farmers who are selling to farmers markets or CSAs or local restaurants. Kind of like the idea of uh, the, the, the triage there, that you have the three uh, groups getting the chefs involved even in it. Yeah, we were really lucky, we are really lucky, to have a really active group of chefs that are supporting local farms in Wisconsin, as well as really innovative farmers that were interested in participating. So the benefits for producers are what? So hopefully they find varieties that are well adapted to their production systems. Many of them are using organic methods and they're selling directly to consumers or directly to people like chefs. And so quality is a really important factor. And it's hard to sort through all of the varieties that might possibly be something you want to plant. And so we're hoping with the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative to help growers identify varieties that might be really good for Wisconsin without having to go through all of the catalogs themselves, do all of the trialing themselves. By participating in the network, hopefully they get kind of a curated set of varieties to test that have already been through some of our tests on the research stations that we work on. I was looking at your site, and one of the interesting things for me was... uh, not only taste involved with the chefs, but even the um, the formation of the vegetable itself. Uh, as a, as you know, some are some peppers, for example, are probably uh, you can get less waste as a chef, depending on how it's structured. Right. Yes, and that's one of the reasons why involving professionals um, like chefs in the project is important because. The flavor of a pepper can be excellent, but if it's very wrinkled or the top uh, cap is kind of sunken in so that when you cut it, 
you have to go around the stem. It takes a lot more time or you get more waste if you cut all of that off. And so that also the, those kind of practical things are easier to do with a group of chefs than to try to predict all of that ourselves as researchers. Uh, absolutely. Nico, let's talk seed linked now. What, um, and, and probably should go back to the beginning. It's been a while since you've been on. What does seed linked do? Yeah, great question. And you really tied perfectly what uh, Julie mentioned about, but really seed linked is in the idea of like, what if you could connect, I mean, all the stakeholders that Julie mentioned, like from chef, grower, but literally hundreds of thousands of grower, chef and breeder, and then expertise and information together to create common information to better characterize, breed, and choose variety. And so a big part of Seedlink is really helping partners like Julie's have been part of Seedlink since day one to help collect this information, but not only collect this information, but share back to everyone. And so a second pillar of Seedlink is really connecting. Now we have more than 200,000 insights shared by many, many master gardener, farmer, chef together in the platform under a seed search and a marketplace where you can look for those traits, look for what is the most flavorful carrots, for example, in, in around medicine or, or tomato or pepper and find all this inside comments and make decisions, informed decisions that can really help you. I know you pro many of you probably have a stack of, of seed catalog in front of you. And, and, and yeah, how to augment, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have to have the whole seed catalog, uh, Jerry Gettle's seed catalog in front of me right now. Yeah, so, and those kids, seed catalog are, are amazing and make us dream and they have beautiful picture and description, but imagine augmenting you, you search of what you're gonna plant with local insight from grow around you. Um, and, and, and the last piece of, of, of seedling is really now, we just recently added is, creating a, a social media place where in addition to contributing and sharing information or searching, you can also follow expert grower, join seed discussion and, and exchange information directly into seedlings, connecting to all this space. And so really at the end, uh, concretely, we will work with Julie, for example, crowdsourcing flavor with a network of chef on carrot or potato or grain and and this information will be connected on on the search, and you can find the most flavorful, and and you can and ask questions as well. Um, and so you have really three way as a master gardener, or gardener, or farmer to interact with seedlings is is being part of collaborative trialing that, for example, Julie is running, but many other organizations around the nation are, are doing, uh, finding seed and joining seed discussion. And it's, I saw on your site somebody called it. Um... Crowdsourcing at its most delicious. Oh, I love I that like that quote. <laughs> yeah, that's from, uh, yeah, I love it. It's, it's from an amazing farmer that part of Julie Dawson, Cat Becker up north, uh, Wisconsin, who's been participating in so many trials. And yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> well, who's eligible to contribute seed information? That's a great question. And so, Many organizations like Seed to Kitchen use Seedlinked um, and their network of, of grower, which will be 
farmer and master gardener, but really it's really open. It's really a citizen science principle. So many, many gardener can contribute and participate to this trial. And so if you have some expertise and oftentimes we oftentimes underestimate how much expertise we have, but yeah, uh, I really engage you uh, or encourage you to, to participate in some of this trial. Um, and, yeah, Seed to Kitchen, maybe Julie, you can mention some of those projects. Um, at Seedlink, we have still a, a large trial as an example of on summer lettuce. Uh, and we already have like 80 growers all across North, uh, the US who sign up. And we're going to receive three random summer lettuce that they're going to receive in the mail for free. And they're going to be invited on their mobile app to characterize um, vigor, bolting, flavor potential disease. It's very simple. It's on a one to five scale. Um, they can share picture comments and then they all funnel together. And then when you collaborate and participate, you also have access to all the results. So it's, it's really not a one way street where you share data and, and you don't see the result, but really the platform is following really the principle of citizen science where it's really a two way street where you participate and you receive information and, and it's super fun. Like, um, yeah, yeah, and and I was thinking about this the last time we talked. I for I I don't recall the numbers, but I think there's been a lot of growth in this, in the numbers of pe- people and the locations of where they're participating from. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's such an amazing need globally. Like, and especially with a lot of change in climate and condition and consumer need, we have more that we are now as we speak, almost close to 8,000 growers who contributed inside the platform. And we are now scaling in, in Europe, in most countries in Europe, in West Africa, in South America. And and so really imagine, yeah, being this knowledge that is shared and connected, how powerful it can be for you as a grower, but also as so many independent breeder or people locally who are going to let develop the next locally adapted carrot, the tomato, they can tap into this resource certainly to make better cross, better, better advancements, and um, ultimately make you gardener more successful and happy and <laughs> enjoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, Julie, maybe uh, Nico was uh, kind of referring back to you, and maybe you can talk a bit more about the collaboration with Nico. Sure. Yeah. We started working with Nico when Seedlinked was just getting up off the ground. And we have been partners on a few different projects to develop methods. So we're not we're not business partners. UW has no financial stake in Seedlinked, yeah. but we've been working on methods development, essentially. And one of the things that Seedlinked has allowed us to do is expand participation. Before we started using the Seedlink software, we essentially would do a trial on the research station and select a very limited number of varieties of, say, tomatoes to send out to growers. And farmers would sign up. We had a few gardeners, but we had to send all varieties to all farmers because essentially the logistics were too complicated to be able to customize it. And so growers had to be planting a lot of tomatoes in order to (laughs) feel like they could participate. And 
With Seedlinked, we can manage more people because it's easier to actually manage the mailing and the communication. And we can also use um, the built-in statistical software to send each grower three varieties, but a different three. And then we can use the whole network to still compare all of the varieties in the trial. So instead of selecting say five or six and sending them to everybody, we could actually test 10 or 12 and everybody gets three, but we can still get good information on the relative performance of all 10 or 12 varieties. And so that has allowed us to essentially send out more diversity to actually get a better sense of how these varieties do and start working with independent breeders who may be testing something that's not necessarily quite finished, that's not released, and they want to get a broader geographic network testing it, which isn't something we could do very well before because we needed a lot of seed of each variety since it was going to every person. And they needed to be pretty finished in order to have had enough trialing to be worth sending out. And so this way we can really help independent breeders who don't often have access to that kind of data. Larger companies are able to maintain testing networks that sample you know, places in Southern Wisconsin and Northern Wisconsin and you know, other places in the country. An independent breeder or even a public sector breeder, we work with a lot of university breeders, they often have more limited trialing capacity. And so this citizen science allows those smaller entities to access higher quality data and to actually get varieties out there more effectively <clears throat> and get them known because a lot, of the, a lot of the struggle of introducing a new variety, even if it is really, really good, is that it's hard to get visibility. And so having a large network of trialers and having a lot of gardeners participate really helps get the word out about varieties that might be performing uh, exceptionally well in Wisconsin. And then this data is, yeah, is visible in, in seedlings. And so then you really promote the adoption of small locally adapted seed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking back to your mission statement. And if you think about it with, uh, and as you discuss where you've got um, basically, without this kind of a system, you have like the major uh, seed people, and so you've got a more limited uh, selection of seeds that go out, uh, and this really broadens the the scope of the seeds that are available. Yeah, that's correct, and and also you have to understand that those large seed company. They're a private entity and driven by return on investment and, and revenue. And so most of their breeding and, and many of them is more than 80% is really for like California or the main region yeah. of production. And so, for example, we did this national trial of tomato where big beef is from Seminis. It's like the major uh, tomato. And we had variety from small seed company that did much better, and but nobody knew and, and those right here are bred for those small region where there's not a huge demand but but we still need in upper middle west we still need to grow broccoli we still need to grow tomato and and so yeah. oh man it, it's it's quite an operation julie dawson one of our guests today associate professor in the department of horticulture she leads the seed to kitchen collaborative Nico angelbear is uh, co-founder and ceo of seedlinked 
He has expertise in uh, data architecture, crop modeling, fundamental breeding techniques, and participatory breeding strategies. Questions or comments from them, I hope you'll join in. The number to call is 1-800-642-1234, 1-800-642-1234. Or you could email us, the email address, ideas at WPR. Dot org ideas at wpr.org Clara Nipert, our producer today Tyler Ditter, our engineer I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk and the Ideas Network Thanks so much for joining us for this edition of Garden Talk Larry Mueller here visiting with Julie Dawson who leads the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative in Wisconsin Nico uh, Angel Bear is co-founder and CEO of Seed Linked. And as we talk with them, I hope you'll join in with your questions. We're talking about the work of the collaborative and about Seed Linked. You may have questions about uh, the process, about the seeds themselves, or maybe you've got a vegetable uh, gardening question. I'm pretty sure they could answer them. Uh, number to call is one 800 uh, or you could email us the email address ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. So, uh, Julie, let's talk about trialing. Tell us more about the process. Sure. So the goal is to take new varieties that are developed by either smaller scale companies or public sector breeders or companies focused on organic production and trial them in the upper Midwest. So a lot of the breeding may happen potentially outside of the upper Midwest. Some of it does, and we try to prioritize varieties that have been developed here, but we can also potentially benefit from breeding work that has been done in the Pacific Northwest or the Northeast where climate conditions are similar. And so we want to take new varieties that are coming out from those breeding programs, trial them in the uh, upper Midwest, and then test them with farmers and chefs to see if they have good potential uh, for farmers and gardeners here. So what we would do is typically we get a lot of different varieties and we'll trial them on the research station, which In Madison, we have certified organic ground on our research station. And then we also work in Spooner, which is managed organically. That's up north in uh, kind of the northwest part of Wisconsin. We would trial a lot of different varieties there and then make a selection of the ones that have the best potential to send out in trials for on-farm trials. We are relying more and more actually on on on-farm trials and less on the on-station trials as we see the quality of the data that we're getting from the participatory network. Uh, It's really showing a good correlation. And so we're pushing more out to the actual on-farm trials. And with that, I include garden trials too. Uh, Gardeners are participating at the same level. Um, So what would happen is we would send out seed And then we give the gardeners and the farmers a framework for evaluation. So just to walk people very quickly through that process, in kind of January to March, and people can still sign up for trials until about Tuesday, uh, people would indicate that they're interested in doing a trial for tomatoes or potatoes. Uh, There's a few different crops. Uh, They change from one year to the next 
which crops are available. And the main limitation is seed. And so we, everybody's welcome to participate. If we run out of seed, uh, we obviously can't send you seed. So we then send the growers seed samples and all of the things they need for the trial, stakes, that kind of stuff to actually plant it, a map to put it out in their garden. And then they have a um, trialing data collection sheet on Seedlinked. So that could be on their smartphone or on the computer. And it will guide them through which traits to collect data on. So that might be early season vigor, it might be productivity, it might be disease resistance, and they rate that from one star to five stars uh, for the three varieties that they have. And then that data is submitted. And as soon as you complete the trial, you can see the results from everybody else. And then we also on the research station and in Madison do flavor evaluation. So we'll ask gardeners and farmers to rate flavor but we'll also do some rating of flavor ourselves and then work with the chefs uh, that we have in our network to do that as well. So the other thing we're uh, kind of adding, and we can come back to it if you want to. No, go ahead. So we're adding the possibility to participate in actual breeding trials with varieties that are not yet commercially finished. uh, And you would then get a set of lines that would be all genetically different from a breeding project. So we're working with Nature and Nurture Seeds in Michigan and KC Tomatoes in Kansas City, as well as uh, the Organic Seed Alliance and public sector uh, breeding programs. And people can do two different kinds of tomatoes or peppers. And if you're interested in that, you, you essentially do the same type of process, but you can also save seeds to continue the breeding process. And you work uh, with a group of growers that are all working on the same breeding project. Yeah, and that's a fascinating project because it's not only trialing, but you're really shaping the seed of the future. Like, and for example, so was, we have this pepper breeding where last year, for example, 40 of you of gardener and farmer receive a combination of three new line, part of 25 that are going to be screened and, and you all evaluated them and then we selected eight I think of the top and now we are sending those bags this year uh, to even more and I think this trial is still open uh, and, the, and then this is really the goal is to find from all this like a, a sweet pepper bell pepper that will be locally adapted to the upper middle west in this region with amazing flavor earliness great disease resistance and you together collectively, we um, bring this, this variety to, to everyone. Hmm. Dot in Manitowoc has a question. Let's go there. Hi, Dot. Thanks Hi. for calling. I hope I uh, uh, have this question. Uh, how do you evaluate the seeds when it is uh, planted in clay soil or the Algoma-type soil or the sandy soil? Uh, do we have to have our soil tested first to see if it's going to be up to the potential of the seed? Hmm. Nico, yes, what do you think? Yeah, that's it, it, it's a really great, great question. And 
you mentioned two opposite soil from very potentially drying soil sandy to a clay maybe more wet and potentially maybe more prone to disease and other and at seedlink we are now including soil and this is definitely in the future where we will be able to to filter by soil characteristics but um, i would say definitely for more wet type environment looking really at the disease um, and julie maybe you, you may have other input on, on those two different type of soil yeah yeah so in general if the question is about how do we account for different soil types yeah. one thing we want to do is sample many different soil types knowing that wisconsin is highly diverse in its soil it's important for breeders and seed companies to know if the variety does well across a range of soil types or only in certain types of soil. And we can map where your location is to a general sense of the overall soil type in that region. As Nico said, specific soil types are a later uh, addition. We can do some with climate data and so we certainly can filter by growing heart, uh, USDA hardiness zones. So the idea is to get more granular as it goes. That takes a lot of data. And so it'll take several years to build up to the point where we could make predictions about particular soil types or particular other climatic conditions. Right now, the most important thing is to know, does this variety do well across a wide range of these other parameters? You know, is it widely adapted to Wisconsin? Is it adapted beyond Wisconsin? Is it mostly Northern Wisconsin, mostly Southern Wisconsin? So that the breeders and the seed companies have that information when they're actually deciding, okay, are we gonna put this in the seed catalog or not? And these are very small seed companies. So they're pretty focused on regional needs and also, it's really important for farmers to be able to know, is this variety likely to do well for me, or are most of the reviews that are good coming from a region where I know they have different environmental conditions? Same thing with gardeners. And so we don't ask people to collect soil samples. We're, we're really trying to get data from other sources to make it as easy as possible for participants. But we do ask you to put in some information about how the trial is managed. So there's no restrictions on how you manage it, but we do ask you, you know, if you used a cover crop or if there was any disease management or fertility management so that we have a better sense of how people are managing it so that we can better describe the results when we get them. And we have a simple question asking is your soil was poor, medium or rich, and then you mm -hmm. can also type comments, yeah. And uh, and the growers themselves, are they all organic growers? No, there is a, a large number that are organic, but it is not a requirement. I think the main thing that ties the growers and gardeners together is an interest in direct market quality. So flavor and quality when selling directly to people or when eating it yourself, obviously. Most of the growers in the network use lower input or organic practices, and many are certified organic, but we don't, we certainly don't require that. So, Nico, let's say that I'm uh, sitting here in Wisconsin with a garden, I'm just kind of a home gardener. 
but I'm, you know, I've got a, I'm a pretty decent gardener. And here on Garden Talk, I can tell you we have thousands of master gardeners, for example, listening in uh, right now who, uh, and others who aren't master gardeners but who are pretty darn good gardeners, who are saying, well, is this something that I could get myself involved in? Yeah, of course, and and really uh, do not all sign right now because we're not going to have enough seed for those 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in the future, and, and that is really the vision and, and, and the dream is like all of you to participate and share your knowledge um, to all your local community via we're all connected and why not using digitalization and tool to, to make this easier. And so uh, please, yes, there's many different organizations from extension and like program like Julie. We also have uh, an amazing uh, local organization called Seed Save Exchange in Decora, who is a seed bank with thousands of heirloom who use seedling to characterize the heirloom. And as we speak right now, they're shipping trial pack to more than 600 growers and every year in in january and, and february you can sign up for those trial and you receive uh, the seed so please uh, it there's still few trial open that you can join and next year if, if you don't sign up with there's not enough seed please sign up next year uh, and yeah and go go from there and online i see that it is possible if i'm not mistaken to purchase seeds from your site yeah and so with julie uh we are part of a large grant uh, uh with usda uh, called rai grants to really try to to boost the adoption of, of uh, organic seed and part of this grant is really was to develop to connect all this information from that has been crowdsourced to make better decisions but then the next steps is where to find this variety. And so the next step is like, okay, who are distributing it? And so we connected uh, 11 seed company, small and medium with really strong um, ethics and mission. And so now you can on seedlinked order across all those 11 amazing small seed company like um, Nature and Nurture and Seed Saver and even Jong is part of it and, and many other small and so you can, Look at this data, compare different variety, make a selection, make wish list, and in one cart you can order across a seed company. And we're we're not talking about just tomatoes. Here. No. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. All vegetables. <laughs> I was looking at the list and I thought, well, that's pretty much everything I'd ever want to grow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing. You know, we had I mean, Julie, you work on multiple crop and we have people even working like in small grain. We have people in pretty much all vegetable. And so, yeah, like, I think we have data on 45 crop. Um, and it, as of today, yeah, it's more than 200,000 uh, insight from grower. 200,000. Oh, my goodness me. I, uh, I'm wondering, uh, are there some new varieties that you're testing uh Julie, that you want to talk about? So I can talk a little bit about the breeding projects because those are really exciting. Yeah, there's we a lot of have, them. What? There are a few of them. I was I was uh, looking at them and like the uh, 
one from Burgerville Seedlings. Seedlings, for example, caught my eye just because I like the name. <laughs> yeah, I think that's on Seedlings. Yep. Um, so with the Seed the Kitchen trials, we have three breeding projects that people can participate in. The signups are open until Tuesday or until we run out of seed. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is a cross between two Saladet tomatoes. So they're kind of the ones that are a little bigger than a cherry and oblong mm -hmm. rather than, they're not really a grape, they're a bit bigger than that. And there's a very popular variety called Juliet that is a hybrid. And the person at Nature and Nurture Seed, Erica Kempter, wanted to make a similar type of variety, but with better flavor and better uh, resistance to field diseases in the upper Midwest and made a cross with blush that has very good flavor. It's an orange one that is the same size. And so that cross then has been selected by Erica and by growers in the Seed to Kitchen network to look at what, what type of variety do you want from this? And there are some red ones that look like Juliet. There are striped ones. There are some with really great flavor that are holding up well and are very productive. And so as we work with growers to select the best ones, one or more of those may end up as a variety. And we're working with the Open Source Seed Initiative to ensure that those varieties then are available for anybody to use and continue to develop and breed with. And so that one is in probably close to, to final years of testing. Yeah. It's not quite ready for commercialization, but if you sign up this year, you'll get some lines that are pretty close. And so that one's interesting. The other, up. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, before we get to some other projects, uh, Rob and Ashland has a question for you. So I want to go there and see what's on Rob's mind. Rob, yep. hi. Hello. Hey, Rob. Can you hear? Yes, hey. go ahead. Oh, um, my question was, as an individual, and if I wanted to cross, like, say, tomatoes and establish something that would be my own variety, what are the steps? You know, is there a certain number of years that I would have to just grow that one plant, or do I have to document it somewhere? Yeah, that's a good sure. question. Julie, go ahead. Yeah, it would be a really fun project. So if you want to make a cross between two different tomato varieties, there are a number of guides online that you can find to show you either videos or uh, publications. The Organic Seed Alliance is a really good source of information about how to actually make a cross. After you make the cross, you would harvest fruit from the flower that you pollinated and plant that. And that is the F1 generation. So if you see an F1 symbol in a catalog, that means it's actually that particular seed was from a the first generation of a cross. But that, in this case, is just the first step. So you would grow that out. All of the progeny would likely be fairly uniform. And you could maybe see some differences. But in general, in that stage, you just save seed and you plant it again. And then that second generation will look very different. Each plant will be genetically distinct. And so you'll get a lot of variability in that second generation. 
you can make some selections there. We usually pick the best ones and eliminate ones that look not good, uh, but we don't only pick one or two because once you save seed from those and plant it again, you'll get the same thing. You'll get diversity again. So then you'll do the same process. You select the best, don't narrow it too much. Don't only select one or two, save seed, plant again. After five or six generations, you'll get the seed breeding true. So when you save seed from a single plant, it will look very similar the next year, uh, unless you continue to do crosses. And there are some outcrosses in tomatoes, especially if you have a lot of pollinators. But in general, after five or six years, you would be seeing that the seed you save looks very similar to the plants that you selected. And at that point, it's more stable. Uh, and you can continue to save seed from that. You can also decide to keep multiple lines if there are multiple types that you really want to uh, continue. Sometimes you get ones that are different colors. That's a fairly simple genetic trait. So you could get plants that look very similar, but they're just different color fruit. Uh, so it becomes a really fun project, but probably plan for five or six years to get from a cross to something that's stable. And more than that, if you want, uh, to have kind of a good sense of how it does from one year to the next uh, with different weather conditions. Yeah, and engage, engage your neighbor gardener and, and send them seed and ask them feedback. This is truly how we work. And and then do a, a big party and, and do tasting, like which one do taste the best. And that's pretty much what we do with Julie. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, definitely don't forget the fun parts. Yeah, the fun parts, uh, the the uh, testing parts are, are for sure. As you were thinking about that, we, we were just uh, talking about the development of uh, a beet here at UW, which you're probably both familiar with. Um, Badger Flame, is it called? Yeah, Erwin Goldman's. Yeah, Erwin was on the several. Erwin was on the show and we talked about it. What a lovely <laughs> looking beat. Uh, and uh, apparently it tastes pretty darn good as well. But yes. it, it, it was the same process, basically. Yes. You know, you, yep. you, you just, you, you can't do it overnight. You have to, there's some, as you say, there are several years, uh, there may be several years of growing and sort of winnowing down to what you uh, finally like the best. Yeah, it's a really long process and it really can take up to 10 years, like eight to 10 years. So, uh, but it's also a very, very fun and addictive uh, activity because <laughs> it's really become your own baby in a way, you know, and then you want to, to, to see where it's going to go and how they're going to perform, how it's going to the flavor. And, but more as a professional, as you imagine, if, if this is your living, it, it, it takes a lot of time and, and a lot of money. And so really one of the core goals working together with Julie and, and Seedlink is how to lower this barrier of, of, of cost by bringing you as a gardener together to help those micro-entrepreneurs bring local seed to your own community. And, and this is really, we strongly believe this is where we need to move forward in the future to have more of those. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> Nicola Angel Bear, one of our guests today, co-founder of and CEO of Seedlinked. Our other guest, Julie Dawson, 
associate professor of horticulture at UW-Madison. She uh, leads the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative. Questions for them, give a call. The number is 800-642-1234, or you could email us, the email address, ideas at WPR.org. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Miller here. We're talking seeds and seed varieties and selecting the right ones and how you might get involved in um, maybe the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative or certainly with Seed Linked with our two guests, Julie Dawson and, and uh, Nicola Angel Bear. It's great to have both of them with us. Number to call 800 642 1234. Uh, or email to ideas at wpr.org. Sharon in Appleton sent us an email. Uh, last summer she grew black crim tomatoes and saved some of the seeds, but she wasn't careful to protect the black crim flowers from the pollen of other tomato plants that were growing nearby and wonders what are the chances that the black crim were cross-pollinated by other tomato plants. The other tomato plants included hybrids and heirlooms. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, In general, tomatoes self-pollinate, and so it is likely that most of the seed is actually black crim. There may be some outcrossing, which is when pollen from another plant lands on a flower and you get a seed that's a hybrid, essentially. Those should be fairly easy to see if she plants out the seed, and so you can get rid of those if you don't want them. Compared to black crim, it's likely that they will look quite a bit different uh, when the plant actually starts producing fruit. If you have pollinators around and a lot of bee activity, the outcrossing rate can be a bit higher. But in general, most of her seeds should still be black crim. There you go, Sharon. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, Nico, how, how the heck did you get involved? You know, I mean, you're, you're a guy with a lot of different talents here that seem to blend in pretty well. Yeah, I... You know, I ended up doing, I grew up in France in countryside, similar region as the Driftlands, but the French version, really fascinating by farming and growing. And and then I ended up uh, in the US doing my PhD in plant breeding. Uh, and then I started to be a breeder. And uh, I was really, and for about 10 years, worked for a large seed company. And, and I was all the time fascinated by how much grower, and when I say grower, gardener and farmer, knew about variety and how much knowledge they had and and oftentimes as a breeder i was realizing like those gardener farmer knew better the varieties than i bred (laughs) and i was like we are in such a connecting world like how why can't i get information from them to help me as a breeder but also me as a breeder i was generating so much information why this information is doesn't help grow more and funnel back to help and um and then in the meantime i connected different groups that Julie worked with and Julie was in France as a postdoc, I believe. And this is how we connected. And I was fascinated by this emerging seed movement that is more decentralized, local and 
uh, parts of it of, and and I was um, starting to get engaged and really wanted to work with all those local group and it was really hard to find a job or and so after a while I was like okay um, <laughs> I've learned a lot through my 10 years in big company and in data and in, in different technique why can't I leverage this knowledge and create my own project and, <laughs> and thanks to Julie we applied for grants and we were successful and and voila it started you see so, you know your way around the garden and around the computer <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try. I try. <laughs> Julie, what about you? How did you get? How did you get land in horticulture? So I was kind of the weird kid that decided I wanted to be a farmer when I was eight, <laughs> without <laughs> having grown up on a farm. And I got interested in genetics in high school. I really liked science and math and. Plant breeding was a great combination of agriculture and the science side of things. I also was very interested in doing something to help the environment. And agriculture has one of the largest impacts on the environment. And so organic agriculture was interesting. I started working for plant breeding programs when I was in high school and college, and then did a PhD in wheat breeding out at Washington State University and a postdoc, as Nico said, in France, working with a participatory network of growers that were interested in developing wheat varieties that had good quality for artisan bread making and did well in organic systems. And then I came back to the States, worked in wheat at Cornell for another couple of years in organic uh, breeding, and then got a position at UW in horticulture and worked same kind of goals into vegetable crops. So I've been learning a lot about vegetables over the past 10 years that I've been at UW and still have a little bit going on grains and other crops as well. Not so much wheat in, uh, we don't grow a lot of wheat in Wisconsin anymore. We grow, we grow some and we actually just this, this past uh, Monday, Tuesday had a baked test of some of our breeding lines of organic winter wheat with a group of 10 bakers in Madison that are helping us evaluate them. And we're hoping to release one so that farmers could start growing it in a couple of years. All right, so there's still some process progress in the weed area. Yes, <laughs> that's with Lucia Gutierrez, who's the cereals breeder at UW. Oh man, Nico, um, what are your contributors saying about uh, Seedlink? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, to be honest, it was yeah, it's been a wild journey and. Uh, I'm a plant breeder. I used to be more outside and diving into software. I've been probably the wildest journey. Yeah, and 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 to be honest, early on, about 80% of user of seedlings hated seedlings. Uh, and uh, <laughs> every day receiving like email of this is not working, this bugs, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't want to use this anymore. And four years later. Um, I think we flipped the trend. I think 82, 85% uh, love it. And now that we start seeing more insight and more information and um, the excitement is growing and really seeding is a collaborative effort. I'm just here as a catalyst, but it's really a collaborative effort of thousands of grower, breeder organization who work together to make this tool 
um, better and better every day. <laughs> <laughs> what are your reactions or what are the reactions of, from your point of view, uh, uh, Julie, for those participating? Yeah, I would say very similar to what Nico was hearing at the beginning, there was interest in going back to paper. The problem with paper is that it takes us a really long time to summarize everything and get information back out to growers before they buy seed. And so it is maybe more convenient for some people to have a paper data sheet, but it then takes a long time for us to actually return data and we become the bottleneck. And so as the software has become easier to use and the data presentation has become a lot more user-friendly, there is a lot of excitement about getting results very quickly. And from my perspective, the actual methods we can use have expanded greatly because of the flexibility built into the software. So we're able to do things like send out fewer varieties, but still test a large number. We're able to work collaboratively with independent breeders. And it's expanded what we can do in our group beyond what we could do if we were having to manage everything by hand with paper data sheets or other uh, kind of analog methods. Yeah, as an example, CSAM Exchange at I think 20 or 30, Gardner participating in, in before SeedLinked, uh, the first year or two, uh, most of them hated their turn, their sealing <laughs> journey, but now they are almost 700 as of today. And so you kind of see the evolution of, of it. <laughs> so uh, maybe you got some of those early, uh, early adopters who weren't too happy. They've come back and are happy. <laughs> I hope so. Actually, <laughs> I should, I, I should dive into that. And we, a big part of building a software is user interview and getting feedback. And so more and more we, I mean, we all the time been talking a lot with, with the user. Uh, and so I, I should go back to those frustrating users. <laughs> go, go back and find out and see if they're, they're liking yeah. things a whole lot better. Yeah, uh, I think they are like from, certainly there are people that don't enjoy using a smartphone, but there are a lot of farmers that do everything on their smartphone. And so as people have gotten used to doing a lot, it's much easier to have the data on the smartphone too. Matter of fact, we're going to be doing a show on Monday's show. We'll be talking about technology and, and farming and agriculture. And some people, I think, who aren't involved in it will be quite amazed at what's going on on the farm these days with technology. Julie Doss, an associate professor in the Department of Horticulture, uh, she leads the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative. And uh, Nicola Angel Bear, co-founder and CEO of Seedlinks, our guests on the Ideas Network and on Garden Talk. I'm Larry Mueller. You're listening to Garden Talk. Larry Mueller here. Thanks for joining us today on the Ideas Network. We've been talking about seeds, vegetable seeds, with our guest today, Julie Dawson, associate professor at the UW-Madison Department of Horticulture. She leads the Seed to Kitchen Collaborative in Wisconsin with her uh, Nicola Angelbear, who is the CEO and co-founder of Seed Linked. 
So what would you like to know about the collaborative or maybe about seed length, uh, questions about seeds themselves, maybe you have a favorite variety you want to tell us about? Number to call is 800-642-1234. It's 1-800-642-1234. Or email us, email address ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. Rob emailed us. He says he he, he called about uh, breeding his own tomatoes. What he's looking for is how to document his own seed variety so he could establish it as, let's say, Rob's tomato. <laughs> Rob wants to grow his own tomato, and he wants a Rob's tomato, maybe, to, uh, that he could either maybe sell or maybe uh, just say I've got my own tomato. Julie, what do you think? Yeah, so there are a couple of different ways to do something like that. Keeping good records and a good description is really important. So as you go through the process, each year take notes, take notes on why you selected something so that you have kind of the breeding history. And maybe you make one cross and then make selections each year, but each year you, you document how you made those selections. That could be just notes. If you want to sell seed, then you want to make sure that that description is in a catalog or on the package. Probably going into formal intellectual property rights is not something that an average individual breeder would want to do, but there are a few different formal methods of intellectual property rights. If you are interested in the open source seed initiative that is easier to access as an individual that comes with the expectation that anybody can use the seed that you've developed but nobody can take out other ip intellectual property on progeny all of the descendants of a variety or if they use your variety to make across all of those descendants would also be in the open source seed initiative so that requires an application with some documentation of how you develop the variety, what the characteristics are, and then it, it gets reviewed and posted on a repository, which is online. That is very accessible. Uh, the other methods are not free, but would give you stronger protection for preventing other people from selling your variety, for example. If you also just want to document it so that it's clear that you developed it, you can do that by publishing something about it uh, with a description, a picture, uh, and there are some guides online. Uh, the Organic Seed Alliance, again, is a good source of information. I keep mentioning them because they've done really good outreach for small-scale plant breeders, and they often have very good sources of uh, how-to guides. Um, so if you're interested in that, I would recommend going to the, some of those sites. Yeah, and you can also, on Seedlink, you can create an account for a trial manager or a breeder, and you can create a variety, start inviting people that you know, or via social media or however, and then you can start characterizing and getting information, which then will allow you to maybe go to Jong or a dealer maybe and say, hey, I have this really well adapted variety, and would you be interested in selling it? 
Yeah, I guess I would, um, my issue would be, all right, I'm going to cross two varieties, but why, how do I know somebody hasn't already done that? Gone yeah, through. a lot of people can cross the same varieties and end up with something different at the end. So you would need to make sure that the variety you're starting with that you want to use as a parent allows for you to make a cross. Uh, that is possible with pretty much everything except varieties that have a utility patent on them, which some vegetable crops use utility patents heavily, but not not as many as in, say, corn or soybeans. Yeah. And if the two parents are available to make a cross, the variety that you create will be different than the variety that someone else created. And so you don't need to worry about making the same cross as someone else. Got it. Becky and Ryo has a question. Let's go there. Hi, Becky. Hi, thanks, Larry, for taking my call. Sure. So I want to know about dwarf tomatoes. I've just heard of this concept fairly recently, and as I understand it, they are not determinate tomatoes they're indeterminate tomatoes that have been bred to be a much smaller and compact plant but they have the um, good taste and the good great production of an indeterminate Um, what do you know about dwarf tomatoes well who wants to take that Uh, I'm just going to start tweaking it and Julie, you're a tomato expert, but uh, I think uh, we collaborated with Craig Lehoulier uh, for a while with Seedlinked, and he's one of the expert and breeder has many projects on dwarf tomato. I believe he was on, on the show with you, Larry, last year, and Bjorn. And um, Julie, do you have experience breeding or growing dwarf tomato? We've had a few of the dwarf tomatoes in our trials. We don't have any in the breeding project, but the dwarf tomato project is a collaborative breeding project as well. And so they have a website with a lot of information about their particular varieties, as well as how to get involved. Uh, They've bred a lot of different, really interesting types that are dwarf. So they do well in small containers or in small spaces, and they do have good flavor, or at least the ones that we've tried do. And what was the, the name? Where should she look again? It's called the Dwarf Tomato Project. Dwarf Tomato Project. Okay. There you go, Becky. Thank you for calling. Uh, Chris in Black Creek, your turn. Hi, Chris. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for the show. Okay, so uh, I bought the seeds. I won't mention the company. Uh, some uh, purple peppers. And when I germinated them in a dark drawer, they all my other seeds for my garden germinated quite fine but the purple peppers they took forever to germinate so that you know i could grow them and then when i put them under my growing lights to make the starters they they still took forever everything else jumped but they wouldn't and then in the fall i i really didn't get hardly any purple peppers off the plants and i'm wondering if the seeds were like a second generation or something like that. And before you uh, answer the question, I got to tell you guys, when I was a kid, we were pulling the sod after a rototiller, and 
Uh, I didn't know that you could grow silver. A 1905 silver dime popped out of the sod. And uh, so uh, would, would it grow? But that's my question. About- <laughs> oh, Chris, thanks for calling. Well, uh, I don't know about growing silver dimes, but uh, what about those peppers, those purple peppers that germinate so darn slowly compared to everything else? Yeah, peppers are tricky, so I, you can't really necessarily diagnose the problem without you know, seeing the seed. But in general, pepper seeds need higher temperatures to germinate uniformly. And so a grow mat is often a really good strategy or a germ chamber that will stay 85 degrees with good humidity that you would put it in until they pop and then bring bring the seed back out. They tend to like warmer temperatures than other uh, crops. That tends to be more pronounced for hot peppers than for sweet peppers. So I don't know whether the purple peppers were in the hot category or the sweet mm. category. They also can be slower, uh, especially if varieties are initially bred in warmer climates. Um, you want to try to find something that says that it is adapted to northern climates or short season, uh, and those typically mature more quickly. Um, the corno de toro types, which are the, the thin-walled, sweet, but long bullshorn pepper, tend to be somewhat earlier and change color faster from green to whatever color the final color is. Yeah. And so those peppers may be easier for people to grow than a full-season bell, which often we have trouble getting it fully red or fully yellow. Yeah, good points. Dennis, yeah, did, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm go sorry, ahead. Nico. No. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, day two maturity is, is, is really essential. And as Julie mentioned, uh, there's variety like Carmen, Corno di Toro, who are lower than 80 day. And um, also like... Uh, King of the North kind of bell, some are of much shorter, well-adapted, will definitely bring fruits earlier. And Yeah. yeah. Good points. Dennis and Delavan will give you a chance. Hi, Dennis. Just uh, quickly, I've been in and out of your uh, uh, conversations. I've been listening in the car, had to stop and get out, but you're still on, so I might as well ask a question. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find out, what uh, or whom I need to contact to see about participating in the trial that uh, uh, Julie Dawson was talking about, as well as are there any recommendations, uh, Internet links or someplace where I can go for um, general guidelines on uh, doing a specific study? I've got some heirloom seeds that go back, I believe, as far as my great grandmother, tomato seeds. And I'd just like to pick up as much as I could and document as much as I could without, you know, pouring or buying a bunch of gardening books or tomato books. <laughs> okay. Uh, Julie, go ahead. Great. Yeah, so to sign up for trials, you can go to seedtokitchenaltogether.horticulture.wisc.edu. And there is a link that says for gardeners, and that gets you to the page to sign up. So that's seedtokitchen.horticulture.wisc.edu. You can also email seedtokitchen at 
support.wisc.edu. In terms of resources, the Organic Seed Alliance is a really good source of resources on seed saving and plant breeding. And we also have a trialing guide that we worked on with them that is on their website on how to run a trial on your farm. You're also welcome to reach out to me and we have a number of uh, trainings and other trial kind of educational events that uh, we would be happy to include you in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think for heirloom, you can also contact Seed Saver Exchange. They really love collecting old heirloom and they will really help you also characterize them and asking more information. They may even yeah, bring them in their seed bank and maybe through the ADAPT program and giving a lot of more information on those. And, uh, for trial, also with seedlinked.com, you go on the web page, on the front page, and you have a little tab, join a trial, just click on it, and scroll down, you will see there's like a summer green lettuce trial, you can just click on it, enter your email, and you will be automatically in, receive an invitation via Seedlinked to download the app and create an account. As soon as you accepted the trial and you put your mailing address, we will ship you seed in within the next four to six weeks. There you go, Dennis. And we'll put those links up. Uh, we, Clara, <laughs> will put those links up on the Larry Mueller Show page. So ideas at WPR.org slash Larry. Go to today's date and Clara will have uh, all the links that were just mentioned uh, up on our site. Dennis, thank you. Diane and Madison, uh, your turn. Hi, Diane. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I purchased some seeds for a cinnamon tree after I slowly killed off my daughter's cinnamon tree. They came from, I don't know where, I think Thailand. How do I know if they're actually good? I've tr been trying to germinate them one at a time. I've experimented. I've sent one home with a different daughter whose apartment is really warm. The current one I have on our radiant floor heat floor with plastic wrap over, so I'm sure that it is still moist. How long do I wait between trials and any tips? Mm. Wow, that's probably one you haven't had much experience with, Julie. Yeah, no, they don't grow outside very well uh, in Wisconsin. Um, I think the best strategy would be to go to a, um, like either the national plant germplasm system, or if there, if it came from an international source, you could look to see if there's guidance on germination. Many species have some kind of dormancy that requires specific mm. methods to get them to germinate. So I do not know if cinnamon tree requires that. I have had seed where you need to scarify it, which is, you know, abrade the seed, seed coat so it can absorb water. You may need to cold treat it, although that's less likely if it's a tropical plant than if it's a plant that needs a winter. So there are certain methods that some species require in order to germinate. And I would look for kind of reputable sources online for for tropical plants in order to see if that's the case. Yeah, uh, that makes good sense. Diane, uh, good luck. Thank you for calling. 
Jim in Denmark, uh, your turn. Hi, Jim. Oh, thank you, Larry. Good morning. Say, I have a, a I raise uh, Connecticut pumpkins, and I found out that my sheep love to eat them, especially when they're out in the pasture in October and November. And so I want to raise them. Could your guest advise me um, how to store the seeds and um, so that they germinate? Then my second question is, we got a pack of free seeds from Jung last year. They were Armenian cucumbers, and and I'm wondering if your guests, obviously, they were hybrids, and they were delicious with very few seeds and sweet fruit. Did your guests um, raise those? All right. A uh, couple of questions there. Um, Julie, start with you. Sure. So for seed storage, the key is making sure that the seeds are dried to a moisture level that's not too high and stored in a cool temperature or cool um, location. The rule of thumb is that the temperature in Fahrenheit plus the relative humidity should be under 100. Pumpkin seeds will last less long. They'll, they'll, they're larger seeds, and so they won't store as long as something like a tomato seed, but they're generally okay for a few years you want to make sure that you harvest them, that you dry them, and then, then you store them in a cool, dry place. Yeah. Um, if, so if the Connecticut pumpkin is a heirloom, then you should be able to harvest seed from it. If you are planting other pumpkins of the same species, so it's probably uh, a pipo um, class, I'm not as familiar with that variety, but you wouldn't want to grow it near other peepos. So that would be things like acorn squash, uh, pumpkins that will outcross. So those definitely will cross and you will get something that is not either variety that you had growing. So you need to isolate it. And it also, since it's an outcrosser, you need to make sure to maintain enough plants that you don't get what's called inbreeding depression where you end up with plants that are not performing very well. And so uh, Seed Savers Exchange and Organic Seed Alliance both have guides on isolation distances and numbers of plants in order to save outcrossing uh, species. So I'd recommend going there uh, for that. And then the question on Armenian cucumbers, we've grown a number of different kinds of cucumbers. Um, I don't know if we've grown that particular variety I think that there, there's a lot of challenges to growing cucumbers in the field in Wisconsin. So if you found one that grows well and tastes good, then definitely stick with it. <laughs> there you go. You're not going to be able to plant those seeds and get true seeds, though. That is true. Yes. If it's a hybrid, you will need to purchase seeds again. Otherwise, you'll get something that's very different. Yeah, what a great cucumber. Uh, Julie, you've done a lot of trial in Cucumber, like Shinto Kiwao, Tasty Green, uh, more Asian type, been doing really well around here. Yeah, uh, really well. Jim, uh, thank you so much uh, for calling. Appreciate your call. Boy, um, plans for Seed Link, if you just keep expanding, Nico? Um, yeah, the plan is really to 
have more and more growing engage um, and really we are working more and more on the seed discussion aspect where people really can join as as a social media and have seed discussions see expert grower follow organization like like julie and um, and so have more of this interconnected uh, space within seedlinked um, and and yeah we're just launching in in europe with so many amazing small partner and and uh, that's very exciting especially coming from france uh, it's yeah. nice to to be able to also work at home <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go and julie how about you yeah we are enjoying working with seed links a lot it's simplified our logistics quite a bit we are interested in expanding a lot of the on-farm work and using that more than the research station trials, as well as bringing more farmers into the actual selection process and working with independent breeders. And so we're really excited to see some of these breeding projects where farmers and gardeners can participate in shaping the varieties that will be available to them in the future. Pleasure talking with both of you today. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll probably get an update down the road here, but uh, for the time being, thanks, Julie, and thanks, Nico. Appreciate it very much. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Uh, Julie Dawson, Associate Professor in Horticulture at UW-Madison. Uh, Nicola uh, Angel Bear is co-founder and CEO of Seed Linked. Great to have them with us. As I mentioned earlier, on Monday we'll take a look at uh, technology on the farm these days. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Stay with us. Lots in store. I'm Larry Mueller. <laughs>